This time of year we celebrate perhaps the greatest, not perhaps, certainly the greatest of his deeds. And he came to us, for us. It is that mystery of the incarnation of God that we give thanks for this season. And I am, I'm always, it's always fresh to me. It's always new to me. I, you know, some of the stuff, it, it kind of wears on you. I'm, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy the season, but there's, there's pieces of it that become a bit uh, redundant. <laughs> they become a bit overwhelming. You kind of say, we've done this before. We've, you know, we've seen this before. But when it comes to the mystery of the Incarnation, it's, it's like I'm seeing it for the first time. It renews that wonder, that awe. Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. May God add his blessings to the reading of his precious word. Would you bow your heads with me one more time? Father, we're truly grateful today, especially this time of year, for the word of God, the word that became flesh, the word that is expressed through these prophets and these apostles and these men that you anointed and chose to Present the world with this gospel message of hope and of light and of love. And we're grateful today. We're thankful today that you preserved this word for us. And that it was passed on from generation to generation. Many would have tried to destroy it. Many have tried to corrupt it. But today we have it and we're grateful and we're thankful. We're thankful, O oh God, today that your spirit is with us to help us comprehend to help us understand, to help us receive this word today. We pray for that anointing to flow freely, clearly today, through the one who speaks today. Help him, Lord, for you know all of his limitations. Let those whose hearts are open, whose minds are receptive today, receive this word. Let it take root. Let it bear fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church agrees and says, Amen. Of all the mysteries of Scripture, the mystery of the Incarnation is second to none. It is one of those things we accept and we believe without fully and completely even understanding how it could be so. How can God, God, the God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, how can the creator and master of the universe, how can the invisible, eternal, holy spirit, Spirit of God possibly become a human being? What is it in man that would make even any man capable 
of manifesting the glory, of manifesting the fullness of the Father. It, it boggles my mind when I, set, when, I, when I set myself to meditate on it. Oh, when I think of myself and all of my limitations, all of my weaknesses, the, the limited capacity of my own mind and my own body, it's impossible for me to even conceive that a vessel as unworthy as this could contain the fullness of God. It's beyond comprehension, and yet it is the testimony. It is what we celebrate this time of year. We, we, we have a lot that goes on. We, we talk about lights and we presents, and we've got songs and carols, and we've got dinners and trees, and all the, all the wonderful things that come with it, and I enjoy them all. They're all wonderful. They're all a blessing. The world looks so beautiful this time of year. And, uh, and to whatever degree you can, you can give credit to Christmas for this, people do seem to be in a bit of a better mood Amen. at times. Amen. Now catch them on Black Friday. Catch them trying to find a parking spot at the mall. You might not see the Christmas spirit. But, but in general, in general, uh, when you come across people today, there is a, a, a Merry Christmas. In their coming out of their lips, there is a there is a spirit of generosity. I talked about the giving season. It, there's a spirit of generosity that floods through people's hearts and minds this time. I don't know how. I wish we could bottle that. I wish there was a way to preserve that for 365 days. But the only way I know is to receive Jesus as your Savior, and that doesn't seem to be the way some people want to go. But at least for a season. Many people at least put on the persona of what Jesus Christ really came to accomplish, and I'm grateful for that. But that mystery that's at the heart of it, this word incarnation, how does God become man? It really, it really just is the most sublime and the most, uh, uh, the most incredible of mysteries. And we're going to be talking about it for the next few Sundays. And we're going to begin with John's statement here because it really lays the foundation of what it means for the Word to become flesh. Now, I'm, I, I know that we've read this many times, and you've heard this message many times, but as I said, there's always something new. Amen. There's always a fresh revelation. There's always something that you catch that you did not catch before. And, and as I was reading through this and studying, uh, studying these passages, there were some things there that I'm sure I must have seen them before, but for whatever reason, they did not click. And one of the things that did not click before but clicked this time is this opening statement of John where he says, in the beginning was the Word. And I really got stuck on that word was because it's saying that when the beginning began, the Word was already there. When the beginning began, the Word was already there. In other words, the Word is not part of the beginning. He is before the beginning. He's not coming into existence, but he's already in existence. So somebody praise God. In this mystery of the incarnation, we see in this word the eternal existence of the word of God. Before there were suns and moons and stars, before there were planets, before there were mountain ranges and oceans, and before there were great creatures swimming throughout those oceans and great creatures crossing that land. Before even people like us came into existence, the Word was already there. 
that pre-existing reality. I let my mind go free at that moment, and I try to imagine what the, what the existence of the Word was like before creation. And I simply do not have the intellectual capacity. I simply do not have the imagination required to understand what a world could be like when there is no world. What a universe could be like when there is no universe. I, don't, I know some people say, well, there was just nothing. But no, there couldn't be nothing because God is not a nothing. God is a something. So we have to understand there was something, but it wasn't this. It wasn't the world we live in. It wasn't the universe we inhabit. It wasn't creation as we understand it. Whatever that other thing was, or is, or continues to be, I'm afraid it's going to take our own transformation into the eternal to understand. We who are going to inherit eternal life will one day understand what eternity really means. But it's beyond our capabilities at present. But it's here, it's present in this statement. In the beginning was. In the beginning the Word was. The second thing I catch in this first verse is that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. So not only do we have an eternally existing Word, but we have it as a distinct personality from God. The Word is eternal and the Word is in some sort of relationship with the Father. The Word is not the Father but the word is distinct. The word is something different, something other. How can there be something other than God before there was anything created? Now let that mystery sink in. If nothing has been created, then everything that exists is an uncreated thing. If nothing has been made, then everything that exists when nothing is made is something that was never made. So, Pastor, you're just blowing my mind. I don't, I, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. You might as well be speaking in tongues. But it's true. How can there be something that exists but that was not made? We know when we look around and we see things that exist, we can look at them and say this thing was made. Probably in China. Right? But now we're dealing with someone, a personality, an existing being, who was not created and yet exists in an eternal relationship with God. That word with implies relationship. It's a word of fellowship. It's a word of bonding. It's a word of relationship. It's a word that says that the word and God were with one another. They eternally existed together as a pair, as a duo. I, I, when I think of the song of creation, it's a duet, right? The Word and the Father coming together. John says in his letter, 1 John, that there are three that give witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. We'll get to the Spirit in, in a bit, but for now we're focusing on this Word that was with God. And the third thing you catch, so what have we seen so far? We've seen eternally existent and yet distinct in personality, distinct in its own individual identity. Eternally existent, but a distinctive identity, a unique identity. But then, we're, and listen, we're still in verse 1. 
We're still in verse 1. And the third thing that he says is the Word was with God and the Word was God. So now we have eternal existence, we have unique identity, and we have divine equality. Now if I gave you any one of those things, you'd say, Pastor, beyond my comprehension. But all three of those things combined in one make this the absolute most incredible mystery we'll ever explore. To know the Word of God is to know one that is eternally existent, unique in identity, but equal in deity and divinity. Divine equality Unique identity and personality and eternal existence. Put those three things together and my God, we have something beyond all the mysteries of all the universe. They've looked at, you know, they have these telescopes that supposedly look back in time to the very beginnings of our universe. But if you were to somehow, and I know it's not possible, but let's just play science fiction for just a moment. Let's have a Star Trek moment for just a moment. And let's say that somehow we were able to look beyond the beginning of our existence. Somehow we were able to pull back, maybe through some black hole or some wormhole or some, some scientific uh, miracle, we were able to pull back the curtain before the Big Bang, before things came into existence. What would we see? We would see the Father and the Word in eternal fellowship, in eternal divine equality, in eternal existence. What would that look like? I don't know. I don't have the imagination. But there was this glory. There was this incredible existence of light and love and purity and peace. All of these things in existence, all of the things of God in existence, all that God is in existence, all that God is capable of in existence. So in this opening verse, we see the eternal existence, we see the unique identity, and we see the divine equality of the Word. The Word is uncreated. It's not made. Uncreated. Now John will use a term later. He'll use the term begotten, and that's a whole different mystery. And we're going to have to peel that back at some point. But for now, we're just going to go with unmade, uncreated, before everything. Means he exists when nothing else does, with God, distinct from God, in fellowship with God, bearing all of the same powers, all of the same privileges, all of the same attributes as God. What an incredible statement. I know there's been people over the years who thought they were gods, who acted like they were gods. But now we're dealing with someone who is actually God. With all the rights and privileges therewith, one who can do as God does, Speak as God speaks. Act as God acts. Now in verse 2 and 3, we see the mystery gets a little bit deeper. 
But because verse 2 reminds us that he was in the beginning with God. But there's a different spin on the was in that one. In other words, the first in the beginning was talked about his eternal pre-existence. But now, verse 2 says, the word was full partner in God in giving the world a beginning. It means the word and God acted together to bring the world into existence. They were co-equal partners in the beginning of all things. They came together with a determined plan and a determined purpose to bring something out of the nothing, to speak into the darkness, to bring order to the chaos, to bring form and structure, to bring visibility to the invisible. So where are you getting this from? Well, it's all over your Bible. Go to Hebrews. Chapter 11, verse 3, right? Because by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that everything visible was made from the invisible things. Right? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 tells us that all things were made through Him, by Him, for Him, and in Him all things consist. So here we have the Word not simply existing, not simply unique, not simply equal, but now he is participating in the creative endeavors of the Godhead. He is the agency of the beginning. Without him, there is no beginning. By what right does he rule and reign today? Because without him, nothing would be. Amen. That's the line I used to use on my children. You exist under my authority, because without me, you would not exist. Right? That's, I mean, that's how, we, that's how it is, right? You would not exist if it was not for me. Therefore, that gives me some authority, some rights, some, some investment in you. Now, children universally reject that completely. They're of the mindset that they came into the world all by their own power. And we human beings have that mindset with God. We deny his authority. We deny his investment. We deny he has any rights over us because we're of the impression that we simply exist. That we created ourselves. Or that some mindless, undirected, random project, uh, random process of nature. Amen. Come on. You said, Pastor, you're going to get into the whole evolution creation thing. No, I'm not going to get into it. But I want you to understand where things come from. The whole mindset of science, the whole mindset of the modern philosophies is to get us out from under the authority of our Creator. If we can eliminate Him from the creative process, then we are under no obligation to Him. That's what fuels it. That's what motivates it. I'm not disputing what scientists find and say and what there's facts. I'm not, I'm not going to get into that, but I just want you to understand the philosophy behind it. By denying the will of the Word and the will of the Father in bringing something out of nothing, we eliminate all obligation. But that's not what the Word will allow. John says the Word was in the beginning with God and that all things were made through Him. 
and without him nothing that is made was made. There's not a single thing in this entire universe or any other universe that exists that was not made by the will and act of the Word of God. Now let me just say for a moment here, we have not yet gotten to the person of Jesus. He's coming. We are, we are way back. We're before Jesus. We're before Mary. We're before Joseph. We're before all of that. We're before Isaiah. We're even before the garden. We're before Adam and Eve. We're before all of that. We're before he will bruise your head and he will bruise his heel. All that's to come. And we will get to all of it. But we're way back now. We've hopped in the time machine and we've gone back to the very dawn of creation itself. A, 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 a world that is beyond our comprehension. A universe that looks nothing like the one we see today. We would not recognize a single thing if we were there. There'd be no trees, no mountains, no monkeys, no whales. There'd be no stars, there'd be no moons. There'd be no oceans, there'd be nothing. There's just space. There's just indistinguishable matter. There's just invisible things that exist in the mind and in the heart of our Creator but have not yet been made manifest. Now you, now you're just, you say, Pastor, you're just losing me. Now stay with me. All of this, exists as potential, all that energy, all that matter, and all the forms it's going to take exists simply as thoughts and intentions in the heart and mind of our Creator. They have no form. They have no substance. They have no reality. It's potential. Right? When I see a cow, I see a potential ribeye. Amen? Amen? When I see a, a stock of corn, I see a potential meal. But it's just potential. As long as it's out there in the field, it has no reality on my plate. Something has got to take the potential and make it reality. Somebody's got to do me the favor of catching that cow and turning him into hamburger. Bad for the cow, but good for me. Right? So it's this moving from potential to reality that is ascribed to the power of the Word of God. Everything visible comes from something that was at one time invisible. Everything that exists comes from something that at one time did not exist. It was just a thought. It was just an intention. It was just a desire of the Father. And how do those thoughts, how does that potential take form? This is where we need to understand the word, word. But for some Greek at you this morning, don't panic. It's a very simple Greek. You're going to recognize the word. The word is logos. And you say, Pastor, I've never heard logos in my life. Yes, you have. You've heard it many times. You hear it in words like theology. Biology. You hear it in the word logic, right? Or logically. What is logic? Logic is logos. 
What is ology? Ology is the sum. When we say theology, we're talking about the sum total of the knowledge of what we know about God. Right? Logos is the sum of the knowledge. Logos is the fullness of the knowledge. It's if you took everything that there is to know about God and you encapsulated it in one word, that's Logos. And when we wonder, how do we know those things? How do we come to understand things about God? That's the word logic. Logic is the means. It's the medium. It's how we come to know what we know. Now, I've run into some people today. I've run into some people in my life. I have no idea how they came to know what they think they know. They have come to some conclusions about reality which in my world do not correspond with reality. They have come up with some ideas, some theories, some some beliefs that really don't stand the test of examination and measurement. But Logos always comes from logic. It's always something that is based on the evidence and based on the fullness of what we know and based on what can be known. So when we see the Word was with God, we're talking about the Logos was with God. All that could be, all that would be, was in Him. You may may hear from time to time somebody talk about intelligent design. Now, I want you to understand there's 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 some good and bad theology that goes with that, what they want to teach in some of the schools. I don't want to get into that. But the root idea is a good one. That everything that exists is based on some inherent design. There is a, a point in existence. There's a point to existence. There's a purpose. Our DNA reveals an immense amount of information. Everything from the color of your eyes to how tall you might be to how long you're going to keep your hair. It's all written in your DNA, right? And the world itself, the, the patterns of the planets, the patterns of the stars, the patterns of nature, though we have done much to disrupt, nevertheless, the passage of seasons, the fall of rain, the process of evaporation, why some places have mountains and volcanoes and other places are deserts or oceans, all of these things are not random. They're all part of the design that is inherent in creation itself. So that from the moment of creation, all things are as they are intended to be. This is the agency of the Word. It gives form and it gives substance to all things so that all things are what the Father means for them to be. All things exist according to the design and purpose that was given to them through and by the Logos. In other words, the Logos decided what horses would look like and what cows would look like. More importantly to me, what they would taste like. The Logos decided what pl- that planets would go around suns and suns would go around galaxies and galaxies would go around the universe. He designed all of that. Take one look at the nighttime sky and you'll see some, a a glimpse of the power of the Logos. But it goes beyond that. For the Logos is not simply the principle that gives form and substance. It's not simply the one who makes things the way they actually are, 
but he is also the one who sustains and upholds things by the word of his power. In other words, the planets keep going around the sun because the Logos wants them to. Oh, Pastor, now come on, you're just being silly. I mean, we all understand gravity. We all understand all that. All that. But well, let me tell you something. I don't have a clue about gravity. Gravity is a made-up word. Can you hold gravity in your hand? Can you nail it to a wall? Can you buy some gravity down at the store? It's just an idea. It's a theory. It's, we, we, we realize that the world revolves in a certain way, and so we make up a word like gravity and say, that's why. But no one can tell you exactly what it is. No one can tell you exactly why it is the way it is. We can describe what it does, but we cannot explain how it happens. I can throw a ball up in the air, and I know without any shadow of doubt in my mind, it will come down. But I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why. Oh, it's gravity. Gravity's not anything. It's a word. Is there some, is gravity some, some invisible magnetic power that grabs onto things and pulls them down? No. Magnetism is a whole different thing. We don't know what it is, but we know this. God wants it that way. The Word made it that way, and so that's the way it is. Amen. You don't have to be a scientist. I'm so glad you don't have to be a scientist to be a believer in God. Amen? Amen. The Word upholds all things. Sustains all things. Let me tell you something. The moment the word ceases to sustain, all these things will dissolve into nothingness. The very form of our world, our universe, exists because the word wants it to. Think about the power we're playing with when we deny the word of God. Think about the power. I'm so glad I do not act have the power to cancel the Word of God. Amen? I am so glad if humanity had had it within its power, we would have gotten rid of the Word ages ago. And had we done so, we would have simply ceased to exist. You would never have known it because you never would have come into existence. But I'm so glad that despite all of our best efforts as a species, all of our best efforts as human beings, the Word insists on holding all things together. All things are held together in Him. In Him we live and move and have our being. Everything that we are and everything that we have and everything that, that we can do all by His power. And that's what leads to the statement I made earlier. His authority over all things. Say, all right, Pastor, you've convinced me. The Word is something incredible. It's something special. Well, what does it have to do with the Incarnation? We're getting there. But I want you to understand this mystery first. We have some of us, some of us, some of us, some of us have a very incomplete picture of the Incarnation. We see God sending an angel to give a message to a virgin. We see a stable and a manger. We see wise men. We see shepherds. 
We hear the songs of angels. All very beautiful. We see a little baby. Beautiful little baby. Come into the world. That will be called the son of the most highest. The son of God. And we appreciate that. And we put all of that in human terms. We know that he will grow up. We know that he will heal the sick. He will raise the dead. We know that he will teach and he will preach. And we know what will happen to him. He will be accused and tried and crucified. And we know that he will rise again. We know all of those things. And all of that is part of the mystery. All of that is part of the wonder of Christmas. But it's taking this step back behind the curtain. Going back before any of this even was slated to, con- to come into existence. Before all of these things, we have this divine person and presence upholding all of existence. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. What's the thing it tells us? And God said, let there be light. That's the word. And God said, that's the word. The worlds were framed by the word of God. The worlds were given their structure by the word of God. And when he spoke light, let me deal with that for just a moment. We're only going to be able to go so far today. We'll pick up in a future service. But when it says, in him was life, and in him was the light, and that light was the light of all men. It's a profound mystery. This is, this is before angels and Bethlehem and all of that, that in the eternal splendor of creation, what he encoded, what he embodied, what he brought into existence was a living world, a world of life and a world of life, and yet we see something very mysterious in Genesis. When God said, let there be light, that should have been the end of the darkness. Right? You walk into a dark room, you flip a switch, the light comes on, what happens to the darkness? It's gone. In a universe in which the light exists, there should be no darkness. But Genesis takes us in a different direction. It says, God said, let there be light. But then he says, he divided light from darkness. In other words, darkness continued to exist. Even in the presence of the light. When I talk to you about divine mysteries of incarnation, we can't understand any of it until we understand that. That this dark force, this dark power, that invaded this pristine and perfect universe is the true antagonist of the light. And so when we understand the power of incarnation, <coughs> we understand that it's preeminently displayed in his ability to bring light into dark places and to bring life into places where there is no life. Somebody asked me years ago, do I believe in aliens? I said, well, I believe in extraterrestrials. He said, what do you mean? I mean, he says, the Bible talks about angels and demons. They're not earthly creatures. They come from somewhere else. They're extraterrestrial. Oh, no, no, no. You're, you're, you're playing word games, Pastor. No, I, I want to know, do you believe in little green men? Do you believe in spaceships? 
coming from distant galaxies. I said, look, man, I've got no clue what's out there. No clue. But I said, this I know. My God, the God of Scripture, the God of salvation, is a God of life. And wherever He is, there will be life. Amen. If God is on Mars, there will be life somewhere on Mars. Or there will have been life somewhere on Mars. I, you say, Pastor, you, you, you actually believe there's life out there? I believe wherever God is, I believe it's in His character, in His nature, in the very structure. Our universe is built to make life possible. Every, every measurement that we measure of our universe is perfectly tuned to bring forth life and existence. It's not a cold, dead world that God is interested in. It is a world that overflows with light and life. And whatever happened to it, and there are many theories, and very few of them have anything to do with the Bible, so I won't dignify them here. I teach Scripture, not speculations. But there are many, many theories about what happened to God's universe and what happened to creation. Most of them laid at the feet of a rebellious creature and a rebellious agent. And whatever he did and whatever was the cause of him doing that and whatever was the consequences of his doing that, however it affected the world, God did not leave it that way. But the mystery of the incarnation is this, to restore life and to restore life wherever darkness and death have intervened and interfered with God's plan. Wherever the will of God has been resisted, wherever the word of God's work has been corrupted or undone, the mystery of the incarnation is this. Wherever there is death and wherever there is darkness, the word comes to bring life and to bring light. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, We would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.